Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, and today I have the honor of speaking with Andrew Malash, principal for Berkeley High School. I know Mr. Malash because he is the principal at my kids' school, but he's so much more than that. He's a true educational leader, and he's a great role model for the kind of adult I want my children to know and learn from. On his LinkedIn profile, he says simply that his mission is helping others to realize their, their importance in the world by seeing their potential and helping them to attain it. Andy has been principal of Berkeley High School since 2018, where he was assistant principal for four years prior and a math teacher for seven years before that. With degrees from Eastern Michigan University and Michigan State University, he's known for supporting and engaging all students, for developing great relationships with students, staff, and parents, and for having such an even-keeled and upbeat demeanor no matter what is happening. When he became principal, Andy was quoted in an article as saying it was a dream come true. This is the dream job, the job you want to retire from. He calls his school a home away from home, where he seeks to build lifelong learners and increase student achievement. I'm so honored to welcome Andrew Malosh to the Make Meaning podcast today. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, you know, this podcast is dedicated to helping people find meaning in their work and purpose in their lives. And so I'd like to begin there by asking you about your perspective on meaning and purpose. And I'm especially interested in how you landed your dream job and how you might advise others to do the same. Sure. Um, So, you know, when I was teaching, back when I was teaching math, um, I loved it. It it was actually almost an accidental profession I fell into. you know, a, a couple of years at graduation, I talked about that a little bit where, you know, I didn't always want to be a teacher. I didn't always want to be an administrator like that. That stuff wasn't necessarily on the radar when I was in college. And it kind of by default was something I went into. My dad was a teacher. There were educators in my family. I was really good at math. I, I liked working with people and helping them and tutoring. So I, I kind of, it, it's crazy, but went into a profession without really knowing much about it. And right away, I fell in love with it. And uh, I just loved working with kids and I loved helping kids and teaching them math. And actually the math was always the secondary part. The relationships was always the first part of the job I loved the most. And I felt like why I was here it, why I existed to be here. Hmm. And so as a teacher, you know, I could help 150 kids a year and I could see real change. And, you know, as, as I'm going along and getting better at what I do, you know, I, I just felt like I could do more. And so I went back to school to go into administration and leadership. And, you know, with a thought of if I'm an administrator and assistant principal, I can help, you know, four to 500 kids a year and make a big difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did that for a few years. I felt like I got pretty good at it. And, you know, if you had asked me the first few years of assistant principal, do I want to be a principal? And the answer was probably heck no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, toward the end, it was like, okay, you know, I'm helping four to 500 kids a year. If I'm principal, I can help like 1400 kids a year and their parents and the community and the staff. And so, um, what's really fueled it is just 
wanting to do more, wanting to have more influence and support more people and be that person that people look up to and um, don't want to disappoint and want to strive for great things. Yeah, I really loved, you know, what spoke to me about that idea that, you know, being a principal is the dream job. And I think you said in that article that you don't necessarily want to be a superintendent someday. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like, okay, I, I start in a career and I have to climb the career ladder. Like there's, that's just what you do to achieve success. And I, I think there's something to be said for knowing where you're in your sweet spot and, and being okay being there. You know, like some people don't want to be managers. They just want to be in the trenches doing the work. And other people really want to lead. And I think you should know where your skills are being used best and and where you're really happy doing the work. You know what I mean? Oh, I completely agree. And I think um, that's that's a lot of this job, both for students and, and my staff, too. It's, you know, it's it's seeing something in people that they don't see for themselves and then, you know, helping them get to that point that maybe you see them at, but they don't see themselves at. And, you know, I, 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 people have asked me before about like, do you want to do central office? Do you want to be a superintendent? And Mm -hmm. um, the thought of not having a daily interaction with a student in a building, like feeling the pulse of a school when you're walking through the halls and connecting Mm -hmm. with parents seeing siblings come through of kids you taught or that you knew a few years ago, it's, there's really something special about it. And uh, I, I just feel like this has always been where my passion is and I can't see doing something else right now because um, it is so intertwined with like who I am as a person. Yeah. And you relate so well to the kids. I mean, you know, it's incredible. And so I want to actually pivot a little bit. I want to um, ask you a hard question and then we'll get to a fun question. But, um, you know, I work with a lot of schools and universities through my marketing company, Your People. And as a parent and as a professional at this time, we are focused, you know, on what to do about learning amid the pandemic. And there's just so much tied up in this question of face-to-face learning versus remote. So I wanted to sort of pick your brain a little bit and ask how it's felt to lead a school community at a time as unusual and unprecedented as this. And I'd love to know how you've maintained your equilibrium since the pandemic began. Yeah, um, it it completely, you know, the job when, when March hit last year, from March to June, mm-hmm. the job I did then is completely different than the job I normally did. Um, it, it just completely on a dime over a weekend changed, it, much like it did for kids in the way they had to learn, teachers in the way they had to teach, parents in the way they had to run their households. Um, and, you know, like like most things, you're not prepared for it and no one gave you a toolbox to handle it. And so what I found myself falling into pretty quickly was trying to be kind of a beacon of light, of hope, of you know, optimism that people can look to and say, okay, we're going to get through this. We're going to figure this out. Um, It it was funny. I didn't really have a a game plan going into it, but I kind of fell into this routine that did become the game plan of kind of sending an email to parents every week, just to kind of talk about what I'm going through, what your kids are going through and and how we're going to get through it. And so that kind of became the game. I actually felt like I was a full-time writer, communications director for those last (laughs) few um, months of school where, you know, I would spend a lot of time crafting a message. And then the second I hit send, I could relax for a couple hours and then knew I had to start thinking about what the next thing I wanted to say was. Mm -hmm. And it was 
you know, I, I got some nice feedback from students and parents and, you know, that helped fuel me to keep me going. I don't know if, you know, early on a few of those communications maybe um, fell on deaf ears or weren't well received, then maybe I would have adapted the course. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really, I, I threw myself into the work quite a bit and, mm-hmm. you know, did a lot for my staff and I put a lot out to them. I even kept everything in a running Google document. And in June, I ran a, a word count and it was 30,000 words. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> um, I couldn't believe it. It was like a miniature book that I wrote and all these COVID communications. Yeah. Um, and so to answer the second part of your question, the equilibrium, I, I don't think I did a great job with it, to be honest with you. Um, I think our it was hard in our house. You know, my wife is also working. My kids I had a daughter in preschool who really, you know, she didn't have online schooling to do, but she's also a four-year-old that needs attention and needs Mm -hmm. to be playing with someone. And then I had a first grader too, who did have some online schooling and it was just, it was pretty tough for us. And, you know, I'll be honest, there were tears in our house and we got mad at each other at times, but, you know, we always made up and Mm -hmm. we're a really tightly knit family and we figure things out, but Mm -hmm. I'd be lying if I said it was easy. And, um, you know, I don't really feel like I took a breath until, you know, maybe July. And, Mm -hmm. and that's really on me and, and something I probably need to be cognizant of going forward this year. And, you know, also cognizant of for my students, parents and staff that, you know, it's okay when they need to take a breath too. It's just, we're all dealing with the pandemic in different ways. And so I just want to make sure I'm empathetic to all those struggles people are going through because this is difficult and Mm -hmm. i i have nothing but sympathy for everyone and what they're going through i I realize this is just not easy it's not and it's it's a new normal and i i think you know it's it's interesting when um we heard from the governor that schools were going to shut down um you know and i you know i have four teenagers and my oldest asher just graduated from berkeley and so you know he was full on in senior year we had like the calendar was just full with everything that we were planning and so when they said they were shutting it down you know he was like okay i need to say goodbye to my friends on this last day of school and there was a um it totally made me cry to see this video of the seniors in the in the a cappella choir who were just singing together and hugging each other before on the last day of school I mean, I just wept when I saw it, but I was like, oh, you guys will be together again. Well, little did I know. I mean, I was so wrong, you know, and um, I feel like the kids really took it in stride, maybe even better than we adults did, because this is just sort of their journey and they don't know any different. And it was like, well, we have to pivot because there's no choice. And uh, I've been really proud of how the teenagers in this community have have risen to the challenge. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm taking him to college in a week and, and, there are a lot of parameters. They have to quarantine as soon as they get there and get COVID tests. And so he's stuck in a dorm room for at least 72 hours with a stranger. And so he's like, whatever, it's going to be great. I can't wait. And I'm like, okay, you know, so we can learn from them too, right? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think we, we vastly underestimate teenagers in a lot of ways and yeah. the ways they can handle them, handle um, obstacles, the way they can react to setbacks. I think, Um, There's a lot of times, and and I'm fully guilty of this as a parent as well, where, you know, I don't want them to fail, but I know it's good to fail. But there's still times when I struggle and maybe step in when I shouldn't, when, you know, even as a a five and a seven-year-old, 
you know, my kids mm-hmm. can handle more than I think I, I think they can sometimes. And so I am so proud of how all of our kids, you know, especially the seniors last year handle things because, you know, really what they lost was really tragic mm-hmm. and it was, you know, potentially traumatic in some ways for them too. And so one thing I really feel bad about actually in, in March through June is I, I don't know that I gave as much attention to grades nine through 11 as I did for the seniors. Like I really was like hyper-focused on the seniors and what I could do for them and support them. And uh, it's something I need to be mindful of this year, but I think you're totally right that kids are very resilient and it, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be supporting them. It doesn't mean we shouldn't mourn these losses because absolutely we should. And it, it everything that's lost is just sad. And I think that's okay to feel sad about those things, but I also think they're going to get through it and and they're going to be stronger because of it. And um, it will take time to figure that out, but it's truly what I believe that, you know, we're going to come out of this stronger in the end. Mm -hmm. There is a light. I just, at the end of the tunnel, I just, I don't know how long the tunnel is yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of prepared my kids like worst case scenario, the whole school, the whole school year is online, but, and maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised that it's not like, let's just prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And, and we have to ride it out and we're going to, it's going to be great. We're going to, we're going to be here together. You know, Um, I do think it's harder to let a kid go to college when you've been home with them like 24 seven for six months. So like I was fully prepared for a summer of him like out and about with kids and, you know, on his own schedule and barely seeing him. And now it's like, we've been together with family game nights and, you know, all kinds of things. And I'm really close to my kids anyway, but we're even closer because of this. And so now, I mean, I've been good about him leaving because I know he's ready and it's the right time. But my husband's like, when we get in that car to drive home, you're going to be weeping. I'm like, I totally will, you know? Oh, so, absolutely. And, yeah. I, so. I think if you weren't, that that would be more worrisome than <laughs> if you are. <laughs> exactly. Um, because it's, it's scary. I mean, what's going on right now is scary and, you know, to it's one thing to to let your kids take calculated chances during the day, go somewhere, know that they'll be safe, come home, but you know, they're going out into the unknown and and the hope is that they know how to make good choices and they know how to fix their mistakes and um, they know how to, or, or they can figure out how to exist on, on their own for a little bit, at least with a little coaching from us from afar. So yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think, I'm going to have many tears when I drop my kids off one day and it there won't be hopefully won't be a global pandemic at that point either. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Well, I want to pivot to a much happier question. So um, you and you've alluded to it, you know, the attention you paid to the class of 2020. And I've bragged a lot to people far and wide about how exceptional Berkeley was for the class of 2020. And you should know, like we had relatives all over the country who were tuning into graduation who wouldn't have been able to be there otherwise. So there is an upside to a lot of this. Like we had people sitting on couches in a lot of states watching this and, and you know, with cheering them on and everything. But um, but I was so impressed by the lengths to which you and your team went to celebrate um, these kids. And so for our listeners, I'll just point out that there was a synchronous virtual seniors last day on YouTube, which followed a parade of cars through the school parking lots where teachers and staff bid farewell to the students. And there was a, a car painting and student um, safe gathering in the parking lots with caps and gowns. And, and then finally, this graduation video to 
frankly, rival real live graduations. So I, I can safely say that I spent a lot of May and early June in happy tears, thanks to your team. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could tell our listeners how you made it all happen. You guys did a lot. And I, honestly, I do not know of any other school that did as much as you did. So I'd love to hear how you guys pulled that all together. Well, first off, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. The And, and you know, it was a, a team of people that put that together, my communications department, um, staff within my build, building that sent videos to me. Um, it was, you know, very early on, and this is going to sound crazy, but like early February, I was kind of already thinking a lot about the pandemic. Uh, mm. And so, you know, in my head, when we did go out of schools, the first thing I thought was, this is very likely going to be through the end of the year. I was cautiously optimistic that it wasn't, but, you know, immediately the first things I started thinking about were graduation and like planning backwards from there. Um, so the the benefit of that was we could start planning out some of those things. And some of them were just random ideas that I would chat with some people and they would slowly come together and, and form into something. And then I'd have to figure out the safety of it after the fact. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it's uh, honestly, I don't even know where it all came from. Like it, it was kind of like no idea is a bad idea sort of thing. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, there was you probably saw on social media, no shortage of suggestions from people of what we should or could be doing. And so, you know, it was thinking about those things, thinking about my kids and and what they would want and what would be the most meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And then somehow just piecing it all together and in some way, and like in hindsight, it is crazy how much stuff we did. I can't believe it. And I also can't believe how well it all went. And without a hitch, like we just, there were so many factors we got lucky about with the weather and technology and being able to get it together. And, um, and it, it really turned out like when I look back, I don't know there's a lot of things I would have done differently with a class of 2020. Like it just felt really special mm-hmm. and everything we did seemed appreciated. And, and that made me feel good in my job. And I just felt like we did right by those kids. And I, I don't regret a lot of the class of 2020 stuff because I think it was just, that was one thing I think we did really well. And there were a lot of hands helping and everyone just kind of rallied together to make that stuff happen. And that was one of the places where I was like, we're going to get through this because look at all these people that can coordinate together in a pandemic and make these really special, unique, emotional things happen for kids. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just a really special thing. And, and graduation was the perfect culmination of it. I, I was so pleased with how everything turned out with graduation. And I think it's a really special thing that those kids will always have mm-hmm. that no one else will have, that they'll uniquely have, um, can go back and revisit it if they want to. It was just, I was very pleased with how everything turned out and so thankful of all the support of the staff, students, parents, all the colleagues that helped out with those, those items. Yeah, it was incredible. Hats off to you. It was just really, really special. And so we will um, share in the show notes all the links to everything that's on YouTube. And um, I mean, I went crazy on my Instagrams. So maybe I'll link to that too with all the different <laughs> pictures. And by the way, I just have to say, if you ever have to do this again, um, one piece of advice is to not tell the parents to drive their seniors through that farewell parade and also um, use their phones to video it because driving oh, yeah. <laughs> driving while crying and videoing, like, thank God I yeah. didn't take out any teachers along the way. So yeah. I'm just going to say. It's was- funny. We were, you know, I think it was the week before the drive through and I, I was actually talking to some kids. Like 
we did a little Zoom meeting with some seniors and they're like, I'm going to be a mess. I'm going to be crying my eyes out. And I said, you know, if it was me, I would have my parents drive me around. She's like, that's a good idea. You should tell people about that. And so that's where that came from asking parents to drive. But next time it would probably be one parent, one videographer, and then yes, you yes. in the back. <laughs> it, it was quite emotional, but quite special at the same time. Definitely, definitely. So I know you mentioned that the pandemic has reconnected you with your love of writing. And I especially admired your poem to the seniors, um, an ode to my wonderful seniors, which we will link to in the show notes. And I know that that was featured on WDIV Channel 4 as well. Um, so what, what response did you have from that? Um, I had a really positive response from uh, students, parents. Um, it it actually had a more moving effect on people than I thought it would. And uh, I don't even know exactly where it came from. I was just kind of, uh, actually a few weeks before that, I think I had wrote a really uh, snarky poem to a friend of mine who was struggling with the pandemic, which is uh, it's pretty politically charged. So I wasn't gonna share that one out, but um, <laughs> that's kind of where the, the poetry came back into my life. And then, you know, I started thinking about the kids and I started putting some words down and then, you know, I'd come back to it and put a few more words down. And then this kind of interesting pattern emerged with the syllables and the stanzas. And, and that's where my math brain kind of comes into things a little <laughs> bit. And, and that's where it kind of all came together. And, you know, I, it was just purely the gift of my time and words to the senior class and how I was feeling at that time. That's awesome. It's really and another example of those happy tears. Like literally you kept me crying for like about six weeks. So that was awesome. Um, so, okay. So I, I've said before, you're really remarkable at relating to students, parents, and staff, usually with enthusiasm and kindness. And you're so dedicated to being present at, I mean, pretty much all school events. I've literally seen you at everything I've been at, but I know that you have, you know, a, a young family, um, you guys are close. And, and I know from your Instagram that you guys do a lot together as family. So I'm wondering how you manage all of that. Like, how do you maintain a healthy family life and time away from work while also being present at, you know, so many different school events? Like, how do you juggle the two? Uh, you know, it's, it's getting easier as my kids get older and they can start going to things. Like, that's made a big difference too. But, um, you know, I... To be quite fair, I need to be put in check at times. And um, I think if if I didn't get put in check, I think I would work way too much and be neglectful of things at home. And um, one of the things I love and appreciate about my wife is she'll tell me like, you need to log off the computer now, or, you know, we need to go do this. And, um, and it's not in a, a mean or snarky way. It's, it's in a, like, she knows me so well sort of way that, you know, she knows that we need to keep this connection going. She knows I care about keeping you know, the home happy and the home healthy and loving. And so I think it's, you know, I, I, I trip back into old patterns sometimes. And, you know, there's times I need to reel myself back in and just have tech breaks and times to go away. And, but I also try to make, make meaning with any sort of minutes I do have or time I do have, you know, there's days when I work at school till, you know, five o'clock sometimes and I have to be back at seven. I still go home and I still have dinner with the family instead of staying at work for those. So I think it's uh, scheduling yourself right and, and making sure that you're going home or doing things you should be when you should be doing them. You know, staying on top of things and organized at work also frees up my time at home as well. So I think my productivity at work has gotten a lot better because it means more time at home with my family. And, and I think it's also really important that, 
you know, as a family, we call each other out when we're not behaving in the the way or the values of your own family. And so um, I love and appreciate my wife so much for telling me when I need to take a break or telling me when I need to, um, you know, think a little bit more about my time because I, I need someone doing that. And uh, I'm so thankful, you know, she fulfills that role with me. Yeah. I thank you for that. And I hope some of those tips were really helpful for our listeners. You know, I, I was really grateful when the pandemic started that it, it forced me to slow down and have more balance because I, I didn't realize how caught up I was in running to meetings, even though I work from home normally, I do meet with clients out and about, and then there were all the kids' activities and things, and I I just hadn't realized how on the go we were. And so in the first few months, I was like, this is great. I need to figure out how how to do this on my own and not be forced to it. And I'm already seeing the schedule just fill up again, and I'm still just at home. So it it can get away from you. And I think it's important to establish that balance because it, it probably makes you better for your job and makes you better for your family if you can have that balance. So I think that's super important. So. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think um, if if things aren't right at home, nothing will ever be right at work. And um, something I always tell my staff is 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 your family, you know, is your top priority, is your most important thing. Like everything else is secondary to your family at home and keeping a happy, loving, healthy household. And um, the the work stuff is always secondary and we will figure that out. But, you know, always, always, always take care of your family before anything else. Yeah, you're human before you're a professional. So I Absolutely. think that's incredibly wise advice. So I, I told you I was stalking your Instagram and I went back through your highlight. What would you like to know about Mr. Malash? So some pretty cool things came out of that. And it was a super creative way to get safely personal with students. So do you mind if we go through a few of those? Oh, not at all. <laughs> okay, so you said, what makes you happy? And you said a sense of purpose and feeling like I'm making the world a better place. So how do you do that on a daily basis? You know, you... I think you just, you do right by people. It's as a principal, and I'm sure in lots of other places, people come to you a lot with ideas, they come with um, struggles. And, you know, I always see it as my job to coach and, and help and support in whatever way I can. And so and I always think back to a, a few years back, actually, when I was an assistant principal, I had uh, some leadership kids that were very teary in my office because of something they planned that people weren't appreciating. And I, I just remember if I could go back and say it, I don't know, I, I probably would have phrased it differently because I wouldn't want to be unkind, but I, I, part of me feels like leadership is doing the right thing because it's the right thing, not because someone's going to thank you or appreciate or give you something in return. I, I think there's something to be said by just doing the right thing all the time and and trying to do right by people. And even if it means, you know, more work for you, uh, I think that's why we exist as humans to to support one another. And, and unfortunately, in society, there's a lot of, I'll do something for you if it benefits me in some way. And at least in my experience and in my life, the the personal gratification of just knowing you did the right thing is enough. And yeah. I sleep well at night because of that. And it, it, I don't need any kudos or thanks or gifts. I don't need any of that stuff. I, I, I come into work because it's, 
it's what I'm meant to do. And I know I can do a good job at it. And I know I, that the people I interact with, that I can help them in some small way, even if it's just listening, even if it's just commiserating or um, supporting them in some way or helping them in some small way, like that stuff matters. Those little things matter to people. And I think they carry them with them a lot longer than you think. And so that's what I go into work every day with is just hoping that the people I, I interact with, I see, I talk to that um, in some small way, they, they know that I'm there for them and I can support them in some way. I love it. I love it. So another thing that came out of that highlight was um, your love of podcasts and books, which I totally share as a writer myself. <laughs> oh, and of bookstores. You named some really good ones in that. Um, so you mentioned one of the books that you loved was Educated by Tara Westover as a favorite. And um, she told a great story. And I met her at um, the Shady Ladies Literary Society in Detroit a couple of years ago. And we actually had Amy Heimerl, who started Shady Ladies on the Make Meaning podcast. I'm going to link to that episode in the show notes. But um, I got to sit across from Tara at dinner and just like talk with her. And I mean, I was just blown away by the story. I almost didn't know what to ask. What, what resonated most with you from her book? I remember I read that in the, uh, I was on the service trip in the Dominican Republic with kids. And so when there was downtime or when they were, you know, getting their instruction ready, things like that, I would go back to the book and every time I would just read it and it was like, how did this happen? How are you alive? Like it just kept getting worse. Um, and it was just fascinating. Like everything she survived through everything that was up against her that she overcame and, you know, still had this distant eye on the prize that was so far down the road that no one could have seen that for her, but, but she saw it for herself and she just kept persevering. And it just, it reminds me of the stuff we ask students to do on a daily basis, just the, you know, make mistakes and learn from them, persevere through tough times. Like it's, it's not always important the content you learn, it's its more important how you got to that point and the struggles along the way and the successes along the way. And um, yeah, Tara Westover's story just fascinated me from beginning to end. I, I could not put that book down. You know, it was it was almost like a train wreck because some of it was so horrific to, to read about <laughs> that she went through it, that I couldn't stop reading it. But it also, I mean, the, I think the overarching theme is that education is transformation. Absolutely. And you know, to, for her, that was, that was, you know, sort of the golden ideal that if she could become educated, she could, she could pull herself out of that, yes. that, you know, dead end life. And that was amazing. And she did, which is super cool. Um, okay. So next one, you love woodworking and your grandfather was a carpenter. So tell me a favorite memory of learning this craft with him. You know, actually it's, um, my, my grandfather died uh, when I was pretty young, but my father woodworks and, and, you know, we did every sort of um, home renovation you could name, you know, he's the plumber, the electrician, the drywall guy, like he did it all. And so it's really through him that I've kind of garnered a love of, of woodworking and, you know, home repairs. And I, I just, I always like working with my hands and, you know, my favorite subject in school was art. Mm. And so for me, woodworking is kind of a form of art, you know, writing is a form of art. And so that's where I feel like it comes through and, and what I like to do. And so, you know, my memories, and I do have very fond memories at a very young age, maybe 10 or 11, like redoing kitchens with my dad. And, at, you know, in hindsight, now that I've got a seven, almost eight year old, and I can't imagine in four years that uh, 
he would be able to do a ton of things. So I don't know how helpful I was to my dad, but I remember those things. And, and I remember just him and I going and working on kitchens or doing things around the house. And, you know, it just spawned in me this, this thought that I can fix things. I can create things with my hands. And um, it's, it's one of the things I love to do the most. If, uh, if someone ever offered to pay me a crazy amount of money to just go fix up houses, I, I might go do that. But other than <laughs> that, I think I'm staying where I'm at. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you offered advice to graduating seniors. You said, try as many new experiences and meet as many new people as possible and find your people. So I'm curious how you did that and um, why this is what you advise. Sure. Um, you know, when I finished high school, I it's so funny when we think about the college process now versus when I was in high school, it, it, they're just not the same. And mm-hmm. I, I remember when I was researching schools, the only thing I looked into was what can I afford and still go away to school? That was the, the only thing I even looked at with schools. And, and right off the bat, there was a ton I just had to cross off because I couldn't afford it. And then there was a ton locally that I had to cross off because I wanted, like, for whatever reason at that time in my life, I just wanted to go away to school. I don't even know what drove it specifically, but I ended up going to Eastern and living there. And it was just a different world than I grew up in. And I was just exposed to so many more people and races and culture that in my little, um, you know, suburban upbringing, like I hadn't experienced before. And it opened my eyes in a way that I don't think would have happened if I just kind of followed the path of most people around me. And so I think it permanently changed me in a good way. And, you know, I just, I tried so many different, like at at college there, you know, the nutcracker would come to town, some Russian nutcracker and I go to it. Mm -hmm. Um, There would be some weird excursion to some museum and I go to it and I didn't know anybody. And, And that's so out of my I'm so introverted that it's so out of my element to do something like that, but I did it in college and I don't know why I did it, but it was so good for me. And it just kind of made me see what's out there a little more. And I felt like made me a little more worldly in some ways. Mm -hmm. And not that I don't have a long way to go and enlightenment and in my journey, you know, to know more things cultural about race. Like I still got a long way to go with that, but I think it kickstarted it for me a little bit that other people I grew up with and probably in similar situations that I was didn't have. And so, you know, I think those, those years at college, there's just a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of people. It's just a great time to just try everything and, and see what sticks. Cause I, I think a lot of us don't even know what our passions are yet, maybe in college or the ones we think are our passions are just a product of where we grew up and what our friends' passions were, and maybe not ours. So I think that's so important to just experience things and and try and figure out what what it really is that you love, what makes you tick. Yeah, I remember when I um, was applying to college a long time ago, I wanted to go somewhere that was where I could potentially meet somebody new every day and still not know everyone on campus. So it was just size that mattered. Like I just wanted to have mm-hmm so many new people to choose from every single day. And I went to the University of Michigan um, and it it was just, it was such a simpler process in general. And as a parent, I keep trying to teach my kids that, you know, um, it really doesn't matter where you go to college. It's what you do with it. And, you know, it's also, frankly, even, I don't know that the grades matter so much in college as much as, you know, really opening your eyes, like you said, to the world and trying things and, and becoming who you're meant to be. 
you know, I don't think I've succeeded in my career because I went to Michigan. I mean, I'm proud that I did, but I, I think it's what I've done and who I've met and mentors I've had. And I think that's really great advice. So, all right, I have one more question um, before our final question. And so I wonder what you think about, you know, we have, we've been living through this pandemic. We don't know how much longer you said, you know, we don't know how long the tunnel is. Do you think we will come out of this time with new energy and perspective on how to learn and how to educate, you know, from a, from an educational perspective, what lessons do you see coming out of the pandemic? Um, I I think the educational lessons that come out will be, you know, flexibility and creativity. I, I hope, and what I've seen already is a lot of people taking a lot of chances they may not have taken without a pandemic. So maybe trying some new technology that, you were a little leery of trying before and seeing if it works in a class. Like I've been seeing a lot of people just taking chances Mm -hmm. and some of them are going to fall flat on their face and that's fine. But some of them could be really successful and can be worked at and can be perfected and can become a part of what you do going forward. Um, I I do think we're going to see some residual changes after this. Some things are going to stick around a little bit and, um, hopefully it does transform education. And, you know, I don't think, you know, we're just going to go right back to exactly the way things were when we go back, because we can't, like things have changed, we've changed. And so I think we just know more now than we did then. And we'll know more later than we do now. And so if it doesn't change education in some way, I'd be shocked and and maybe a little disappointed if, if we're not innovating throughout this. So I I do think there's going to be a lot of innovation and creativity that comes out of it. And I think that'll be very positive for education. I think so too, for teachers and for students and families. And that's really awesome. So I usually finish my episodes by asking guests to offer a permission slip to our listeners. And so since we focus on making meaning and finding purpose, we encourage our listeners to give themselves permission to go in search of their personal meaning. So I'd like to ask you what permission slip you might offer to our listeners today. I would love to give people a permission slip to to let your passions bleed into your profession and your life. I think they may not always seem correlated. For me, you know, the artistic creativity aspect of my life, the more that bleeds into what I do here, I think the more positive benefit it has to everyone around me. And I think the better I feel. And it's funny, I I forgot about that until the pandemic with the writing. I, I really do love writing and I've always loved writing. And I used to just write short stories and small paragraphs, you know, things unrelated to what I had to do in school. And when I was in school, I took a lot of pride in what I wrote and edited the heck out of it. And so, you know, bringing that passion back into my my professional career has meant a lot to me. And it, it makes me feel really good that, you know, something so central to my core can, you know, bleed into the other parts of my life. And so I would, I would highly encourage people to whatever their passion is, find a way for that to fit into what you do on a daily basis, whether it's your personal life or your professional life. I think it just, it creates a, a richer sense of feeling in what you're doing and purpose. I love that. I think that's great advice. And um, I hope we're going to see uh, you know, Corona Chronicles book by Andrew Malosh at some point, <laughs> like a collection of your letters and emails and poems. And I'll, I'll be, I'll buy it. I'll come to the book party. So, um, <laughs> you know, put, plant that seed. <laughs> so, anyway, Andy, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Lynn. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. Thank you.